0: England. Well done. So Julia and I came from England. Uh, I came in 1992. Julia came in '94. We got married on Christmas Day in the morning on a Sunday morning service um, at Gateway Church at Pannett Road, as it was then. Um, that was 28 years ago this Christmas, uh, which was wonderful. Getting married on Christmas Day has some great benefits to it. Um, The downside is that it gets mixed up with everything else. Um, But we had a a wonderful time on Christmas morning. Since then, we've had four girls uh, that are now in various stages uh, of their life. We have one in England. We have one in Vancouver. We have one that's uh, moved out and is elsewhere in Winnipeg. And we have one left at home uh, of the four girls. And so uh, it's been great to have had them with us here this morning. But they're all over the place. So this was not part of the plan. Parents... Um, when your kids are younger, we used to say to the girls, you know, wouldn't it be great if one of you was in London and the other would be Vancouver and one of you be in Australia, then we could just come visit you and do the world trip and everything else. And then you, that all happens and you think, why did I open my mouth? <laughs> and I'd like you all to be at home and we could all be together every weekend and it would be working out really well. Anyway, the Lord knows these things, right? So uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, So, kids, what's your favorite type of Christmas baking? Have you got food? Now I want one of those clipboards. (laughs) Where are those clipboards? Favorite type of Christmas baking? Come on. Meringues. Who does not like meringues? Meringues are beautiful. Anybody else? Christmas baking, favorite types. Christmas cookies. Do they have ginger in them? No. Thank you. Can I come? I'm allergic to ginger. It's the funniest thing. But when I eat ginger, I swell up like an elephant. Have you ever seen somebody whose face go like this? I should put a photograph up there for you, but you'd probably not eat your lunch. So I won't do that to you. So anyway, don't give me ginger cookies at the end. That won't work for anybody. Or maple. That does a similar sort of a thing. Weird, eh? Ginger and maple. Who would be allergic to ginger and maple and live in Canada? That does not work very well. Anyway, we've got cookies without ginger. I like this household. We have meringues. What else do we have for our favourite Christmas? Come on, girls. What's your favourite Christmas baking? Do you have some? What do you like? Has it got chocolate in it? Do you like chocolate or well, not chocolate? No chocolate. Okay, I've come to the healthy church. What's in your snacks on that? Uh, on your, is it healthy snacks? That's what I want to know. Oh, very good. Yeah, we can have those too. Oh, what sort of cookies do you like? Or baking? Candy canes, candy canes. You know, I have rediscovered candy canes. My youngest daughter likes those cherry ones. You've had the cherry? Some of you are nodding. Yeah, well, I discovered them in the cupboard. She'd got herself a little stash and I found them and I've been chomping them at night when nobody's watching. Yeah, they're really nice. That candy, the, the uh, cherry bit gets in your mouth. Mm-mm. Beautiful. So I'm going to talk about Christmas baking this morning. Isn't that good? I'm going to talk about Christmas baking, even though from England, we didn't know much about it. In England, you have Christmas cake, which I really like, and we have sweet mince pies. How many of you know what sweet mince pies are? Yeah. Like mince meat, but it's sweet mince. That's kind of what our baking is, right? So when we came to Canada and someone said, we're going to bring you some Christmas baking, we thought it would be a Christmas cake or some sweet mince pies. And then someone shows up at the door with this tray of this incredible assortment of goodies, and you're like, oh my goodness, this country's great. (laughs) So anyway, I don't know where that all came from, but thank you. All well, you cook, you're baking, you're different stuff. So we're sort of still trying to get into that a little bit, but we enjoy our Christmas baking as well as everybody else. And we have different types of treats that we really like. And so we're going to look at this morning at the greatest Christmas piece of baking ever. Okay? And so if you've got a Bible with you, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 1, it's not baking really, but I'm going to use it as an example of what we're going to talk about this morning. Okay? So Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read a story that we've been singing about this morning. And most of you, if not all of you, probably know this story. But we're going to look at um, what God did and what God put together. When he wanted to give us the greatest Christmas treat ever, how did he put that together for us? What did it look like? And it's helpful to know what the recipe is of God's greatest Christmas treat, and it's helpful to know what the ingredients are, what you put in it, because the ingredients are really important, right? So let's read it together. Verse 26 of Luke chapter one. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the Holy Spirit answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The greatest story ever, the greatest Christmas treat ever. But what are the parts of this great Christmas treat? What's God baking here that's so wonderful? And what's part of how he's put it all together? Well, if you're going to bake something for Christmas, it's helpful if you use a recipe. Now, there are some people probably in this room, you border on the genius in my mind, because you don't use recipes, and it still comes out tasting amazing. Now, I'm quite, I think, creative, so I try cooking without recipes, and when I do that, I invariably get the same response from my kids, which they're very gracious about it, but it's like, hmm, yeah, Dad, don't worry, it'll be okay. Which generally means, this tastes horrible, Dad, leave the cooking to mum. That's generally what it means. But that's what happens when I get off piste and I start trying to cook without a recipe. You need a recipe. Most of us tell you exactly what to do, and when I do it by the recipe, it turns out all right. It's funny how that works, isn't it? If you do it by what the recipe says, then everything turns out the way that it ought to be. So God here gives Mary and Joseph a recipe for the greatest Christmas treat ever. And what is the recipe? Well, it says here in verse 26 and 27, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said. We'll stop right there. The recipe for the greatest Christmas treat ever is the word of God that comes from heaven. God wanted to bring to the world the greatest news of the greatest joy, of the greatest gift that ever could be. He was baking something super special for Christmas, that first Christmas. And so he's going to bring the recipe to Mary and Joseph to help them be part of what he's doing. And the recipe comes to them in a word from God. God speaks to us. And when God speaks, he's speaking to us to bring us something special. And he sends here an angel. God doesn't always speak to us by an angel. Anybody else? Kids? No. How else does God speak to us? Through the Bible and prayer. What's your name? Brilliant. Thank you, Dalek. Through the Bible and prayer. God speaks to us through his word. And he speaks to us in prayer. When we speak to him, he speaks to us. When we ask him questions, he speaks to us. And if we want the recipe for how to live life, enjoying the treats that God has for us and all that God has for us in his life, we need to learn to live by the recipe book. Right? By the word of God. People of Israel went round and round the desert for 40 years, eating manna, which was okay, and and their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Imagine walking for 40 years in a desert and your shoes didn't wear out. Those are serious shoes. Well, no, they weren't serious shoes. They had a serious God who was looking after them. And he fed a million people. Imagine a million meals a day, two or three times a day, a million meals. God did it for 40 years in a desert. But they didn't have to walk round and round and round in the desert. God says the reason you walk round and round and round in the desert is really simple. You need to understand that man, women, doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if you'd listened to my words and done what I said, you'd have been out of this wilderness 40 years ago and into the promised land of my great treats that I have for you. The recipe for walking in the goodness of what God has for us is to live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. This Bible is the word of God. From in the beginning, in the beginning, to and let the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all in the end. This is the inspired word of God. If we lose our anchor in this, we lose our access to all that God has for us. We need to keep coming back, especially in days like today. And these days aren't new. People have been questioning the Bible for years and years and years, questioning the Word of God for years and years. It's 2,000 years. It's not new to have people doing that in our generation. And it's not new to have Christians who are on fire for God and living for God and whatever begin to move away from the Bible because this is what happens it's the drift. of of culture, but we have to keep bringing it back to what does the Bible say? Because that's the recipe right there. And then everything that comes to us that we hear in prayer, Danica, that God speaks to us in prayer, needs to line up with what the Bible says. Because we can hear things and not get it entirely right. But the Bible is entirely right. We might not understand it right. We might not interpret it right. We're all going to get to heaven and discover there was part of the Bible that we were interpreting wrongly. If we don't appreciate that, we're going to have trouble in life. None of us is going to have this thing perfectly right. There's mystery to the Bible. God keeps it that way for a reason. But everything that we hear from God needs to line up with what the Bible says. And so when God came down at the beginning to give his recipe for the greatest Christmas treat ever, he did it by speaking his word. He started by giving the recipe out of his word. It's the word of God. So what sort of Christmas treat is this going to be? The word of God comes to Mary and Joseph, and he wants to put what he's bringing into a vessel. He wants to put it into some sort of... Of, um, uh, of, of baking that's going to allow this Christmas treat to be the best flavor ever. So what sort of pie do you think God is going to put his baking into? What's that? Pumpkin pie. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely, pumpkin pie? It could well have been pumpkin pie. Absolutely. I'm going to suggest to you this morning... That the sort of pie pastry that God loves to pour his Christmas treats into is humble pie. It might not be immediate obvious from the reading because the angel comes to Mary and says, Greetings, O favored one. That means, O highly favored one. Greatly esteemed. God thinks you're great. Imagine having an angel show up at your house and say that to you. Hey? Greetings! God thinks you're great! Wow! What an amazing thing to say. And We might think, well, well, then, she must be something, right? But that's not how she thought about herself at all. When we listen to a song at the end of this chapter, and she's singing out her heart to the Lord after God's spoken to her, this is what she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That word humble estate means to be lowly. It actually means to be depressed. To have been up here and now be down here. That's what that word means. You've looked on the depressed state. You've looked on the lowly estate. You can actually interpret it as you've looked on the humiliated estate. Of your servant. It's the same word that's used by Philip when Philip's speaking to the, uh, to the uh, African about, he's explaining Isaiah 53 to him about who Jesus is, and he talks about Jesus being humiliated in his death. It's the same word. When God's looking for something to do a Christmas treat with, he's looking for humble pie. Which means that when we are in our lowest place, when we are feeling the most humbled, when we are even feeling the most humiliated, that is not a threat to God doing something special with your life. You may be in that place this morning And God would come to you and say, I think you're great. And you might say, well, Lord, I'm in my lowest estate. I'm in the most humble place. I even feel humiliated. Have you ever felt humiliated? And God would say, you're gonna make a great pie for me to fill with all of my goodness and everything that I do. Every move of God starts with humble beginnings. People who are in a humble state. Every move of God is sustained by people in a humble state. Every move of God stops and falls because people get out of being a humble estate and start to become proud in their own hearts. And something happens to the pastry. It's no longer malleable in the hands of God. It no longer easily shaped into the shape that he wants it to be. We're going to make it a heart shape today. We're going to make it a cross shape tomorrow. You know those lovely different shapes you get in, in Christmas baking? God wants a pastry. He can just put in anything and create any sort of shape he wants to. And the moment it starts getting a little hard and you can't move it anymore and you can't work it, it's like, okay, that pastry, we can't do the same things with that anymore. First ingredient for God's prize Christmas baking is a humble So this morning, I have a word for you, Landmark Christian Fellowship. Where do you feel you are? Do you feel you're on the mountaintops? Do you feel you're in a great place? Do you feel you're flying high? God bless you, that's wonderful. Keep your hearts soft. Keep your hearts humble before the Lord. Do you feel you might be in a little bit of a humble estate? Not where you'd like to be maybe, maybe not even where you've been in the past, maybe you've lost some things along the way that you thought were very precious, where do you think you are? Because if you're feeling this morning, you are in a humble estate. If you're feeling this morning, you're even in a humiliated place. You need to know that God loves places like that to be able to come and move. The first ingredient is humble pie. People who have a humble heart. Humility gets you everywhere. Pride gets you nowhere. Right? What are the other ingredients of this pie? Well, what are you going to fill this pie with? I don't know. What sort of fillings? You don't like the chocolate, so I don't know. Where are we going to go? What are we going to put in this pie? I'm going to suggest we're going to go with brambleberry. We're going to have a brambleberry pie. Anybody bake or eat brambleberry pies? No hands going up. All right, I'm in the wrong place. What is brambleberry? That is a great question. You know, um, do you know what a bramble is? Okay, this is even better. It's education morning. Okay. so. We call them brambles. I, what would you call them? Sorry. Well, they're not raspberries. You find these on bushes in England, on shrubs, like blackberries. things like that, right? And the bushes, they're like shrubs, and they're covered, and you, uh, we used to uh, my best friend in England's a farmer. And on a Sunday afternoon. You know, Sunday we'd go to church. We'd come home. We'd eat Sunday lunch on his farm, and then Sunday afternoon we'd go have snacks around the farm. And so, snacks around the farm meant there was a crabapple tree. That was the last snack. Okay, but before you got to the crabapple tree, there were the bramble berries. Right, so, there's blackberries or maybe gooseberries or different berries around the farm. And we would walk around the farm, gorging ourselves with the seeds, until you got to the crab apple tree. And then we'd climb up the crab apple tree and sit and eat crab apples till our stomachs hurt. It was great. And then you'd pay for it for the entire week afterwards. <laughs> the thing about brambleberries, things like that, is that they have this mixture of taste, right? There's a, there's a sweet taste, there's a real fruity, juicy taste, but there's also a bit of a sour taste to it, too. How many of you like sour things, like tart? Thing? Yeah, I'm like that. Look at those sour strips. That's something else with my youngest. My youngest daughter gets these sour strips, and she thinks she can hide them from me, but I know where she's got them. Right. So if you've got snacks at home that your parents don't know about kids, hide them good, because your parents know how to find them. I didn't say that. Anyway, it's got that mixture of sweet and sour to it, both. And if you're going to go pick brambleberries, you've got to be aware of the fact that you're going to come back with blood on your hands as well as brambleberry juice, because they've got thorns on those bushes. And when you grab them, you sometimes get pricked by the thorns. And so you come back and you've got nice sort of juicy blackberries on your fingers and, and whatever. But it's kind of mixed with a bit of blood from the cost it took you to get those bramble. But it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And so we're going to have a brambleberry pie. Why are we having a brambleberry pie? Well, because when the angel spoke to Mary and told her what he was going to fill her with, she would have had a little bit of a sweet and sour taste in her mouth as a result of what the angel said. Look at what he said. Greetings, O oh favored one. I think you're great. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled saying, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Oh, that's great. I found favor with God. God's going to do something good with me. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Okay. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and we call the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Sounds brilliant, right? But she's not married. Oh, oops. Um, So she's thinking already, well, okay, that sounds great. That sounds like the sweet, juicy part of brambleberries, but But there's another part to all of this. And can I just ask a question here? How is this going to happen because I'm a virgin? I haven't been with a man. How is this thing going to work? Her mind's probably racing to where this is going, right? Yeah, this wonderful news. Jesus is coming into her life. The Savior of the world, the great King of kings, the Lord, he's coming into her life. It's going to be wonderful, but... And there's a big but. What are people going to think of me when they discover that I have a baby and I'm not married yet? What are my friends going to say? What's the neighborhood going to think? What's what's people going to do? I'm going to be kind of ostracized. They're going to judge me. Bad things might happen to me if they think I've been doing something behind Joseph's back. Like, that's where she's going already. Because she already recognizes and realizes that God's Christmas treats, the great Christmas treats, actually have a sweet and a sour taste to them. It's not all sweet. And in fact, when she gets to uh, Jerusalem and she's dedicating Jesus and this wonderful old man, Simeon, comes out and he prays all these blessings over Mary and he tells her all these amazing things that's going to happen for the baby Jesus. And then he turns to Mary and he says, and a sword will pierce your heart also. This is going to cost you big time. Oh, that's brambleberry pie. It's got a bit of sweet, a lot of sweet, beautiful, juicy, but it's got something to it that's a little bit of the other side too. It's not one without the other. It's both. And that's because we live in a a broken world of brambles and thorns, places that you can get hurt, and we can hurt each other. And if we believe in a Christianity where it's all beautiful, juicy, sweet fruit, and it, if it's not beautiful, juicy, sweet fruit, it can't be God. And that's our version of Christianity. Our Christmas pie is going to go off at some point. Let me tell you how. Because bad things happen in life to you. A couple of years ago, Julia was sitting on the deck with um, good friend Sally. Julia's been running an English uh, language classes uh, at the church. been doing it for a number of years, doing a great job. She's sitting talking on the deck. I was sitting inside the kitchen. Phone rings. I hand her the phone. She's got this face on. The, I'm looking through the window. What this, what's this all about? We found a spot: cancer. Two years of battling cancer. Operations, chemo, radiation. Some of you have been through the journey. In the middle of COVID. What do you do when your Christian faith is brambleberry? If you're expecting it just to be sweet, what happens is you start getting confused, disoriented. Disoriented. Wait a minute, this was supposed to work out, wasn't it? Why is it not working out? This isn't supposed to happen to me. And then confusion can turn to discouragement. Discouragement can turn to despair and unbelief and even bitterness and anger. And your nice brambleberry pie, which you don't think should be brambleberry, it should only be nice, juicy fruits, starts to go a little rotten. It turns. But if you realize right from the beginning, this is brambleberry pie. I get Jesus. I get Jesus with all his beauty and his wonder and his loveliness and his grandeur and his kingdom and his glory. And I get Jesus with his crown of thorns and with a whip to his back. And with people turning against him and saying bad things against him. I get Jesus. I get brambleberry pie. I get everything. I'm not immune from the second, because to have Jesus means I get it all. And there is a price to be paid for brambleberry pie, which is why it needs a humble pie crust. Because if you get angry with God and frustrated and whatever and, and, and you get stuck in that ways, that pie's not going anywhere nice. There's a recipe, it's the Word of God. There's a pie that God loves to use, humble pie. We get to be that humble pie. He fills it with brambleberry filling. And you think, Lord, how am I going to make it through then? Because sometimes when the pain comes and the hurt comes and everything else comes into my life, it becomes almost too hard to be able to survive. How do I survive? Well, then God sprinkles it with the greatest topping you can find for a pie. Let me read it to you. She said, how is this going to be, Lord, since I'm a virgin? All oh, that's wrapped up in that question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God's greatest gift for Christmas has the Father's plan, Jesus' birth, and the Holy Spirit's covering. If we sprinkle our brambleberry pie with liberal sprinklings of Holy Spirit, it sweetens the whole pie and helps us to be able to get through what we need to get through. What does the Holy Spirit bring to us? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit brings us the manifest presence of God. You may have many troubles, you may have many hardships. It is part of the brambleberry pie. But you will have a very present help in every time of trouble because the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, He makes all the difference. He enables you to go through what you could never go through on your own. He gives you grace to stay sweet when you could get bitter. He gives you grace to stay humble when you could get hard. He helps you to find your way back to the recipe of the word of God when you wanna throw it out of the window because it hurts too much. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, which means his presence will come. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. When the Holy Spirit comes, his power will come. He will give you power and strength and grace to do what you could never do by yourself. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, he said. It was part of his brambleberry pie. And that thorn in his flesh just kept niggling him. It wouldn't go away. And he prayed three times that the Lord would take it away. And the Lord said, no. And he might have asked, well, Lord, why won't you take it away? And the Lord might have said, because it's brambleberry pie, Paul. Paul settled it in his heart. Listen to me, read it to you. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. He recognized, actually, this thorn was keeping his pie crust humble. A messenger of Satan, no less. To harass me. What, God allowed this? Yep, God allowed it. It says so in the recipe book. To keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In Some ways, the more humiliated we are, the greater God can be in our lives and through us. Therefore, I'm not only gonna say thank you to the Lord for my thorn, my brambleberry, I'm not just gonna try and work my way around to being grateful, or that's a great thing to do, but I'm gonna boast about it, he says. I'm gonna boast about it, I got a thorn. Satan harasses me regularly. God allows it to happen. I ask God to take it away. He won't won't take it away. So I'm going to boast about it instead. Because it shows me my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I'm content with brambleberry pie. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, kids, following Jesus is not always easy. Is it? Some of you know that already. Following Jesus can hurt. People can say bad things about you. People can reject you. Tough things going on around you. And you might think, well, wasn't following Jesus meant to make my life better? Well, it does, actually. Ultimately, forever. Better forever. Brilliant. But what makes it better in this life is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And the power of the Most High overshadows us. And the final thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He brings us the presence of God. He brings us the power of God. And he brings us the purity of God. The child to be born will be called holy. Holiness. Holiness is a fragrance. Holiness is a flavor. Which when that pie becomes holy. There's something very special to God. The world might not understand it. It might not be special to the world. The world might think it's horrible. But what the world thinks ultimately is not going to matter. What will ultimately matter is what God thinks about your life. That's all that's going to matter in the end. Not what Johnny, my friend at school, thinks or Charlotte downstairs or whatever. It's, it's what God thinks about me. That's what matters in the end. And when we allow God to do in our lives what he wants to do, There's a fragrance and a flavor that rises to heaven from our lives. That means when he comes to you in your bedroom at night, he'll say to you, I think you're great. The world, they don't understand you. They don't get you. And I'm sorry about the brambleberry pie. It's just part of life. But I think you are great. That word highly highly flavored, that's maybe a Freudian, no, not a Freudian, that would be wrong in church, Um, a (laughs) Holy Spirit slip, highly flavored, because it's what it is, but that word highly favored when he speaks to Mary, he only uses one other time in the Bible, and he uses it later on in the New Testament when he's talking about us. You're highly favored too. Kids, God thinks you're great. Really. No, it's tough. I know it's tough to make those tough choices and stand up for the things that are tough and you don't always get it right and then you make mistakes and then you think God's just gonna throw you off the bus and whatever. No, if you keep your heart humble, keep coming back to the Lord, ask him to forgive you, whatever. Lord, help me out of this place. God will meet us where we are. He sends us his word. He sends us his son, the birth of Jesus Christ in our life, all the good and the little bit of sour, some of the sour that comes along the brambleberry pie, and the sprinkling of the power and the presence and the purity of the Holy Spirit over our lives. And God speaks to us and says, you guys, I think you're great. Amen. So where are you in, in the process of baking today? Maybe this morning you've never asked Jesus to come into your life at all. Maybe you've never made that decision. You can do that this morning, actually. Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I guess it's bramblebury. It's not all going to be perfect. It's not all going to be wonderful. It's not all going to be free of pain. But I want you anyway, because you're wonderful. I want you in the middle of everything that's going on in my life. Lord Jesus, would you come into my life right now and fill me today? He will do that. It may be today that we might have got ourselves a little hard in our crust for whatever reason, and we need to return to that place of humility before the Lord. Softness of heart, humble estate. It's okay to be there. Maybe we need to return to the recipe book. Well maybe we just need more of the Holy Spirit today. Amen. Down. General ask you to come up and you know what what an encouraging word